Hello, and welcome to SLP Full Disclosure. I am your host, Jennifer Martin, and joining me is my illuminating sidekick, Jonathan <laughs> Carey. Hello. That's probably the nicest uh, introduction you've ever given me. No, it was uh, literally because you just got me a new light. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. But... It has nothing to do with your character. I just, uh, <laughs> But I do feel like I'm staring into the sun. Um, so if I look different uh, on the YouTube channel, it's because... <laughs> I, I don't know. It almost, I feel like I'm getting a tan from this. <laughs> I don't think you'll, is that why you put on the sunscreen this morning? <laughs> yes, I, <don't, laughs> I did tell Jonathan I put on sunscreen and uh, maybe that is why. Maybe I knew that you were trying to hit me with uh, UV rays. Yeah. This is, this is like a half step in the production value. We'll, we'll need to make some fine tuning. So due to some <laughs> technical challenges. <laughs> so. It's, it's never ending. It's like never ending, but yes, this is, um, very bright. I'm actually, this would be great if you lived in an area that was cloudy and gloomy in the winter. I wish this would definitely would do it the trick. lighten your day. It would lighten my day. Gosh. <laughs> Boo. Um, but I do feel like I am getting vitamin D from this. I wouldn't count on it. <laughs> so when I, when I have to go back for my uh, blood work and I, it's like you're grossly deficient in vitamin D, I'm like, but this light. Don't say that to the doctor. No, oh. It'll be in the chart forever. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, um, I am very excited about our guest today because this is, gosh, I wish, where were all these people when I was starting out, Jonathan? Where? Where were they? Hiding from you. Where? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, probably. No, you know where they were? They were out studying these and doing really cool things so that they could help all the rest of us learn. So that's why. Um, but this guest today, uh, I really do mean when I say that there's so many things that she said where I was like, oh, I'm cringing inside because it's I've done all those things. And I just because I, I didn't have a better way, but she's giving us a better way. So today we have um, Dr. Karen Dudek Brandon, and she is going to talk to us about language processing curriculum. Um, goal writing around this area and just has some really cool resources for SLPs. And again, I wish I would have had this in the beginning, but even if I was still working with school-age kids, I would still want this information. So let me tell you a little bit about her, Jonathan. Um, Dr. Karen Dudek-Brannon mentors pediatric SLPs who want to create a bigger impact on their students and language therapy. She's been an SLP since 2004 and has spent 14 years in the school systems. After feeling frustrated with not having a solid system for language therapy, she decided to make language and literacy her area of expertise during her doctoral work. She's the creator of Language Therapy Advanced Foundations, which is an online program designed to help SLPs create an evidence-based system for language therapy. And she's also the host of her own podcast called Are They 18 Yet, which is a parenting podcast. And she shares information for SLPs, parents, and other professionals who want to help K through 12 kids thrive. So welcome to Dr. Karen Dudek-Brannon. 
So welcome to Dr. Karen Dudek-Brannon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's um, I, I cannot wait to get into this conversation. Um, you know, language processing, curriculum, all of that, I think, are things that so many of us still, I mean, I've been doing this for years and years, and I, those mm -hmm. are still things I struggle with. But before we, we jump into that, I always just like to know, um, what is your story and how did you get to where you are professionally today? Sure. So I started out in the school systems back in 2004. I always knew that I probably wanted to go back and get my doctorate when I finished my master's, but I didn't really know how that would look. Um, so once I started practicing, I just, I always felt like with language, you know, there's these other areas, there's articulation where, yeah, it can be challenging, but there's there's kind of a structure to it. And same with some of the other things that SLPs treat. But but in the schools, language was just that area where I never really felt like there was a clear process. And it just always bothered me. I always felt like I was kind of guessing and shooting from the hip with my students. And it just really wasn't a good feeling because you get to the end of an IEP and you're like, what did we do? What did we accomplish? So <laughs> when I went back, I think it was... Let's see. So 2004, I started I started back working on my doctorate in special ed in 2006. And so when I did that, having special ed be the background, it really gave me the opportunity to focus on language, but also literacy, because it was really in line with both what speech pathologists would do and what teachers would do. And and so that was really during my doctoral work, I really made that my kind of my life's work, if you will, with just trying to figure out what exactly everybody is supposed to be doing to support language and literacy. And so my research really focused on figuring out what specific things kids need to, to do and what skills they need in order to be able to support reading and language and all the skills that they need to do in school and in life. So it actually took me eight years to finish the whole thing because with the special ed doctoral program, you can also get the credential to be a special ed director. And so I was taking the classes. I really liked all the classes with the administration and leadership. So I was like, well, I guess I'll do this too. So I was in school for a really long time. <laughs> and when I graduated in 2014, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do higher ed or special ed administration. And just due to my family situation, you know, I had a school age child, we didn't really want to move. And so if I were to take a position as a, like a professor or a, an administrative position, it would require a really long commute or would require us to move, which I didn't want to do. So instead, I went the self-employment route. And so what I do now is that I run online courses for SLPs. Uh, the main course that I have right now is called Language Therapy Advanced Foundations, where I teach SLPs a framework for language therapy to really just answer a lot of the questions that I wished I would have had answers to back when I was first starting out as an SLP. So that pretty much brings us to the current state. <laughs> yeah, what, what, a, uh, not a short um, journey. No, it's definitely still going. <laughs> I was going to say, it probably, <laughs> yeah, it's a true, you truly, uh, the definition lifelong learner 
there there you are when you yeah. <laughs> when you google that so and, and that's impressive because all that did not um i'm sure it was uh not without its struggles and stresses but good for you for saying you know this is something i really want to do and i want to learn more and and doing it because i mm -hmm. think so many times we think oh i would love to learn more but gosh no way that's that's way too much time and energy and you said something that I think it's, I just, it was one of those kind of, as Oprah says, aha moments where yeah. <laughs> um, you, um, that is exactly, I think, where I've always struggled with language uh, processing and just, you know, working on that and really understanding it well, because it is so vague, but you said something that I'm like, that's exactly what it is. Articulation and some of those other things we work on are so structured and it's easy to know, okay, first to see, you know, can they do it in isolation? Can they do it here? Can, you know, there, it's very mm -hmm. structured. So it feels like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I've got a grasp on this. Whereas language is just so you know, nebulous that it's, it's right. not so structured. So that I just finally that when you said that, I'm like, that's why I've struggled with this. Yeah. 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 I mean, a lot of people I when people usually start reading my resources, they usually I'll send them some emails once they sign up for my email list. And one of the first questions that I ask them is, what's your number one challenge with language therapy? And I would say probably the most common thing that people say is just. I don't even know where do I start? That's probably the most common thing that people say in response to that. The second one would be something about goals. And <laughs> usually goals is another question that that is asked as well. Yeah. But where do I start is definitely the most common. So Yeah, I, I bet because it is just like, give me a starting point so I can at least work mm -hmm. from there. Um, yeah. And before we get started, I just would love because I mean, you really are an expert in language processing. And that's not, I, I don't know a lot of experts in that area. So I'm curious when you're defining language processing to a parent or a teacher, how do you define it? So usually I would say something like, you know, it's again, how, how well you're able to understand language, how well, if somebody says something to you, you're able to process what they're saying. Are you able to listen to directions from the teacher and understand what those things are? Are you able to listen to a message that somebody is telling you about something in the past that's happened? And can you comprehend that? And then also, can you formulate a response to what they said? So, and I would also probably tie in, you know, it's it, it has to do with how well you understand how a sentence is put together and what all those words are doing, as well as the content of the sentence and the vocabulary. That, that's a, uh, that's not your first time saying that definition, is it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've said that a few times for sure, because yeah. I think a lot of other people don't realize that that's something that an SLP does. We They yeah. think you work with people who stutter and you work with kids who can't say are, but mm. they don't realize that we can help in that area. And do you come across where I feel like sometimes people confuse listening with really understanding. And so I know you want to ask parents, mm -hmm. um, yeah. how do you feel like they understand? And I think they, they think, oh, well, you know, they can hear me. Yeah, they, but they don't understand, you know, until I really break it down, what, what the difference is. So how do you, do you ever come across that with parents and teachers? And if you do, how do you address that? Yeah, that's a good question. Because when it comes to listening mm -hmm. versus comprehension obviously it's different mm -hmm. 
And so I think what happens the most often is that parents will assume that they're, the child is just willfully not doing what they're supposed to be doing, or they're being willfully defiant or lazy or whatever it is. And it might be just because they don't understand what they're supposed to do. They're not understanding the language. The whatever is being said is is too wordy and they're not really understanding where the breakdown is happening. So that's definitely common. And it's unfortunate because then sometimes kids will get in trouble yeah. because people will think and, and sometimes teachers, too. Um, I think I worked with a lot of teachers who especially as I developed a relationship with them and they knew what I did, mm-hmm. they got better at saying, hey, this this student is always a couple steps behind mm-hmm. the other students. And they would come and ask me and they would make a referral. But it definitely took a while to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And there were some teachers who wouldn't always know that and would say, you know, would think that they're just not following directions mm-hmm. and then they'd get a little whatever, whatever their behavior system was, you know, the mark on their chart or something like that. The, the um, red paper yeah. clip, the red paper clip. <laughs> the clip, yes, there were a lot of the paper clips, which are not a clothespin, clothespins. That's what it is. Yes. 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 Yeah. And I could go, that could be a whole other conversation there. But yeah, yeah. I think that was one of the biggest um, places where People would get confused. And then also, obviously, there's there's all kinds of things with body language mm-hmm. and things like that, because sometimes kids are comprehending, but maybe just their body language is not necessarily showing it. Also a total separate conversation. <laughs> uh, yes, we uh, that's for another podcast, but you're exactly right. Yes. Yeah, I know. And then the my uh, another one of my least favorite is where I just have to, you know, inside cringe a little. Well, they're just lazy. It's like, no, they just don't uh, understand. Yeah. I'm like, if somebody was speaking to you in another language and, and asking mm-hmm. you to do something and you're not doing it and they say, well, see, you're just lazy. It's like, no, I don't understand what you're saying. So, um, yeah. So, I'm, again, I'm, it sounds like, too, that really um, that's where SLPs be being those educators and helping those parents and teachers understand that, no, it's not defiance. It's not lazy. It's this is what's going on and Mm -hmm. then giving them ways to treat it. And I think too, it probably um, in your experience too, with older students, does it, it seems like it would help and almost be a little bit empowering for them to understand because I'm sure they think, well, Mm -hmm. what is wrong with me? Maybe I am lazy. Maybe I am, but it's, they just don't understand. Yeah, that is that's huge because what happens is that they there is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. where they do have a harder time engaging in activities that they know are going to be hard. Yeah. So you do see some avoidance, but they don't have any evidence in their mind about why they would be successful with that. And why would you want to do something mm-hmm. if you know it's going to be hard for you, if you know you're going to get in trouble, if you know that you're not going to get any help? I mean, that's a natural human tendency to avoid uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. And so if you have no experience of success with that, it's going to be really hard. You're going to avoid it. And that's why we see such, you know, there's the Matthew effect with reading where Kids who have a low vocabulary, they it's harder to comprehend what you're reading. Mm-hmm. So that means that reading is hard. So you don't want to read. So you're reading less. Well, how do you build vocabulary <laughs> through reading? Yeah. And so then these other kids who who like reading mm-hmm. because they're good at it, they've been successful, they're reading more. And so the gap is widening so yeah. much 
and so it's really hard to 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 break that cycle if there's if there's not a clear understanding of what's going on and that's one of the reasons why the Matthew effect happens it's kind of like you know it's kind of a catch 22 in a way yeah no and it makes perfect sense when you're saying it it's like yeah of course i'm i'm envisioning all these students i'm sure other slps are as well so when thinking about you know the academics and the language processing it's you know i'm thinking well of course if you can't understand you you know it's going to be hard or or like you said but what do you see as um you know if a teacher or parent says oh they're really struggling struggling academically what does that help what does that immediately make you start to th- wonder about their language processing well, usually, so when I was in the school systems and I was on the building problem solving team where there was just a whole team mm-hmm. of us, psychologists, administrators, special ed teacher, general education teacher, me, and I think the social worker as well. And so we would just take these referrals and the teachers would have a concern and they would come and present their case and we would decide what to do. Many times when I would end up doing an evaluation for a student who had some kind of academic issue, one of the most common things that would come up was vocabulary. So that actually informed a lot of my research during my doctoral work, because that was just coming coming up over and over again, is that a lot of those kids that ended up qualifying, that was one of the areas. Um, so obviously, how that looks for different people who are involved in that process is you know it varies depend depending on if you're the teacher providing the support if you are the special ed teacher if you're the parent if you're the speech pathologist everybody has a different role and they're overlapping a little bit but it's all kind of like this big it's kind of like puzzle pieces but i explain it sometimes like a venn diagram because a lot Mm -hmm. of times slps will say well if i have a student who's struggling with vocabulary how do I know what the teacher's doing and what I'm doing? And especially if they're working with a special ed teacher. And I say that it's kind of like this Venn diagram where it's like, there are certain things that both of you can do. And then there are certain things that only you do and that only the special ed teacher does. And it's not necessarily that it that you aren't qualified to do certain things, but just sometimes logistically in the school systems, it just doesn't make sense based on how much time you have. So that's something to keep in mind as well. And that that's, yeah, I could talk a lot about that with the whole role and like, what are you qualified for and what's in your scope, but actually what can you do logistically? Yeah. And that kind of varies depending on how it works in in the setting that you're in, if you're in a school, if you're in a private practice and all of those things. Well, and I love the vent. I don't know if that answered your question or if I got off on another tangent. No, it absolutely did. And I love your visual, that visual of the Venn diagram. I think that's a really perfect way to, to, to understand that information is that, you know, Mm -hmm. yes, it's, and that's also where it really reinforces, this is a team and, you know, not everybody can Mm do everything, but together we can really do a lot. So I love that Venn diagram visual. That's, I I think that's really uh, impactful. So now I want to talk, we already talked about, you know, yes, we we have acknowledged language processing is vague, help, where do we start? You know, Mm -hmm. all those. So I'm, what is your philosophy when you initially start working with a student and whether that was when you were in the schools or private practice, um, where, like, how do you establish the curriculum? And I know this is going to be different on age and what's going on, mm-hmm. but just what is your philosophy, I guess, for establishing a curriculum for language processing? 
So everybody, that's another thing that people ask me for a lot. They want a hierarchy and they want a curriculum. And so I, I 100% understand why people want that. It's what I wanted. But a curriculum in itself is not really what SLPs need in order to do their jobs well. Because the teacher, it's the teacher's job to deliver the curriculum. They're the ones that are, you know, and not that it's scripted because teachers modify things all the time, but it's a little bit more about, okay, here's the curriculum. Here's what's expected at each Mm -hmm. grade level based on what we know about developmentally, what should be happening. But, but also with, with the curriculum, it's, it's partially about exposure because a lot of times people want to know, like when you're thinking about a curriculum, you want to think about what's age appropriate. And I always tell people that's not the right question to be asking. We don't want to say what vocabulary words are age appropriate and what language skills are age appropriate at third grade, fourth grade, etc. What we want to say is what are kids being exposed to and what are the expectations that they need to do in order to be successful. And because that a lot of language growth in the school age years is more dependent on exposure because you're not going to know vocabulary that you haven't been exposed to. So really, the question that we want to be asking is, is what are kids being exposed to? And and then what are the things that they need to do in that environment in order to be successful? It's not about what's age appropriate. There's actually... Um, I actually tried to find a developmental milestones chart for school age. It doesn't (laughs) exist. And actually, um, I found a seminar article from it was back in the 70s of a they they looked longitudinally at what language skills were, you know, again, like what was what did language development look like across the school age years? And it, it was just really hard to pinpoint because you just the minute you say this is what you have to do at this age, it just it becomes irrelevant because it's going to be so varied based on neurological profile, geographic mm-hmm. region and all those things. And so if you tried to really pinpoint it like that and do some kind of scripted curriculum, it might be relevant for a small group of kids in one specific geographic location. But if I were to create something like that and try to give that in one of my courses, it would create more work for the SLPs because they'd have to modify it so much. So really what you need is not necessarily a curriculum, but more of a framework because what we want to do is, number one, we can't do a curriculum because that's too rigid. Like it's too scripted. It, It won't work because we already know our kids need something different that wasn't working in the curriculum. That's why they're on our caseload to begin with. But at the same time, we can't do the other thing, which is have nothing, because then it's so overwhelming and that will take, you know, hours and hours. There's no way that you you can start with nothing. So you need to find some kind of a happy medium. So that's why what I teach is more of a framework. And the way that I look at it is that so we've got vocabulary as this one big umbrella area. And then I teach people how to use vocabulary from the curriculum and and build language processing through word study. And I do that by emphasizing five components that fit under vocabulary. And then I, within those components, have some specific strategies that I can cycle through. And so the five components are phonology, orthography, morphology, semantics, and syntax, because those are going to be the things that are really going to build 
that vocabulary and those language processing skills that are going to support academics, they're going to support reading and writing, they're going to support executive functioning. And so those are really the things that we want to focus on. But it's kind of like we go from vocabulary, big umbrella, and then we specify into these five components. And then we pick strategies that facilitate these components and then just kind of cycle through them. And so that's what I teach SLPs to do. And by creating that, I'm not saying, you know, there's, there's, you know, I will have SLPs come into my program and they'll, you know, I'll give them the sequence of things that they can go through and they'll say, well, but my student needs this. Can I modify it? And I'm like, yes, of course you can modify it. What I'm giving you is a starting point that I know will work. I'm not saying this is the only possible way that you can do things. But what I am doing is I'm narrowing this down for you so that you can just, you know, have less decision making fatigue and have more energy to show up for your students. So that's really how I look at it. And that's really what helped me back when I was, you know, in the trenches trying to figure this out. That was what I used to finally get to the point with some of my students where they were making progress. Oh my God. I, there's so much of what you just said where I'm like, this is fascinating. And I want to unpack a couple of things. So something you said that I, I'm thinking of, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about goals, but something you said where it's like, I'm envisioning this goal that I've seen a million times is, you know, we'll um, understand, we'll do blank, blank with age appropriate vocabulary. And so it is like, okay, you're exact like age appropriate vocabulary, but for who, you know, and you're exactly right where this student may be exposed to going to the grocery store every week with a family member. And, and so has words that are around that experience, whereas another one has never been to the grocery store with a family member or urban versus rural versus so everything you said, it's, I'm thinking all these, you know, where they just give this group of, okay, all third graders should understand and know this vocabulary. And then it just becomes a memorization piece. But if you don't put it into place, yeah. it never goes anywhere. So that was one thing that I was like, oh my gosh, this, it makes such sense. Um, so when you're, and, and I also feel like too, it's, what's interesting is that, you know, SLPs, we want like, okay, give me, I want this, 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 but it sounds like your program mm-hmm even though it's not saying, okay, step one, step two, step three, in many ways, it is giving um, steps and or or different, you know, where it is mm-hmm. like, okay, you, you've got to understand this to understand this to understand this. So in a way, it is giving SLPs what they crave, but just not in that traditional sense where it's like one size fits all. Yeah, I mean, the way that I look at it is I'm giving them, uh, what is it? <laughs> Like you have to balance giving people what they want and what they need. Um, And like I said, I totally get why people are asking for what they're asking for. I think that sometimes when you're super overwhelmed, Mm. you know that what you're doing is not working, but you're not exactly sure what will work. You're not exactly sure what to ask for. And I think that happens a lot. I call it analysis paralysis. It's like, I don't don't know what I need to do, so I'm just going to do nothing. We'll be right back to our interview. Take a moment to stretch your legs, but don't go anywhere because we want to talk to you about our podcast partner, Med Travelers. Med Travelers is an industry leader in allied travel career opportunities for a reason. Featuring exclusive jobs at top-tier facilities across the United States, higher earning potential, W-2 employee status, and a flexible schedule, Med Travelers is your advocate for career success. 
Make sure to visit medtravelers.com to discover how MedTravelers can help drive your career forward. Again, go to medtravelers.com to start your travel journey today. And now back to the show. So what it sounds like is instead of kind of creating this, oh, my third graders are going to get this vocabulary and language goals, it really is something that needs to be more customized to the students because every student's background experience is going to be different. Is that correct? Yeah. So I usually make it more about the process and the problem solving process on the SLPs end, rather than saying this is what has to be done at each grade level, because it's definitely relevant to think about that, because there are going to be certain things that that they need to do in the classroom. But you can't, I wouldn't be able to just publish some curriculum and have it work for everybody, because that would actually create more work for the SLP. Because what would happen is that I could make something and it might be relevant for one group of students in one geographic location, but then everybody else would have to customize it and make so many more tweaks that it wouldn't even be relevant to them anymore. So there's, it can be kind of dangerous with, with the developmental milestones charts and the curriculums to get too specific with it. And that's why I have this balance of a framework where it narrows the process for people, but it, it's not too rigid. You've got to have that right balance of structure and flexibility. So with the vocabulary thing, a lot of times people will ask about that. They'll ask what's research-based. They'll ask what words are appropriate at each grade level. And I definitely provide word lists. I actually have a product where I, I provide word lists, but it's more of an example to see these are examples of tier two words that could be used in a first grade curriculum. And I pulled them from first grade curricular materials, but I'm not saying that you can only work on those words at first grade. It's not a rigid kids have to be able to rattle off definitions of these words kind of a thing. It's more of these are examples of words that you can study with your students using a bunch of different techniques that are going to help them think about words differently. And really what I focus more on is the process of thinking about words and getting kids to think about words differently and building metacognitive skills, building metalinguistic awareness, and using that across the age range rather than, you know, this is what has to be done at this grade level. It's certainly relevant to think about what's going on in the classroom, but we don't want to be too rigid about it. And the way that I make my framework relevant to kindergarten all the way through 12th grade is that I say that the general process and the strategy stay the same, but what's different is the content because what SLPs want to be doing is they want to think about how they are selecting words and then they're going to use the same general strategies, you know, throughout, you know, you could use the same things for a second grader and a high schooler, but obviously the way that you're doing that is going to be different. The content is going to be way different for a high schooler and the amount of scaffolding that you give is going to be different and things like that. So that's how I make it relevant. But because you're staying with the same general strategies, what that does is that it can take a lot of the overwhelm away from the SLP because they're not having to piece together so many different things. They can have a handful of staple treatment techniques that they can just cycle through, and that can make a huge impact on just their whole emotional well-being because, you know, if you can find a process that takes the load off, 
for that one thing that's taking a ton of your time, it can create a lot more bandwidth for you to focus on other things. Yeah, that is so smart of you <laughs> because it really does, um, you know, as I'm listening to you, it's, it's very smart because it does where once you understand the process, you're not reinventing the wheel every time, mm -hmm. exactly. but it still is customized to the students. Right. And I love that it sounds like you really incorporate, have the kids be part of the process and helping them understand because I that knowledge is power. And I love that it's not just, okay, we're going to use this word. We're going to, I want you to use it in a sentence. Now write it in a sentence. Okay, great. Now one in your what in one ear and out the other, but yeah. you, it sounds like you really encourage them to be part of the process and understand what is language and how breaking it down into pieces and, and meeting them where they are. And I'm sure that it improves engagement and then they feel successful and then the SLP feels successful. It sounds like it's a, it's a great process and program. Yeah. I think that what a lot of people are concerned about is engagement. That is probably another one of my top questions that I get because I don't do a lot of bells and whistles and games and I like to keep things really simple. If I can do all of my sessions with a simple dry erase board and dry erase markers and just some word lists and you know, then that's great. I mean, I think if you're a good therapist, you should be able to make that work in a session. You know, not and I'm not saying that you can never use an iPad or apps or games. All those things are fine. But I think a lot of times people start with that. That should be something that you add later. You want to focus on the skills that you're teaching first, because I think what people have found as they've started doing this with their students is that the engagement does improve when students start to feel successful. Mm -hmm. They do kind of. You know, if you get used to have, you know, looking at a device all the time, you're going to always need that stimulation. But if you get used to doing something else and you learn that you're good at it and you can be successful, then engagement is going to increase because mm -hmm. it's going to be more of a positive experience for you. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, I want to shift a little bit. And you have a really interesting way of looking at goals. And that's another area yeah. that you really excel at. And you really break it down into the why and how when targeting language goals. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. So what I do with language goals is, um, and I'm not knocking anybody who, who creates goal banks, but I have found that sometimes it can be a crutch for people if you don't understand the process of writing goals. So what I do is I encourage people to just start with a set of maybe five or six goals that hit those main areas that you want to target. And just, you know, when we're thinking about language processing, thinking about just a set of core observable behaviors that you can use as a starting point. And I keep it super basic. And then what I do is depending on where the student is at, I take that statement and then I just customize that statement and then you just can add the level of accuracy to that. So one goal, you know, if, if we need to give kind of a tangible example yeah. of one that comes up a lot, just so people can have a little context of what I mean, is that if you're working on vocabulary, let's say, then one of the most powerful things that you can do is teach kids to be very descriptive about words, to describe words using specific semantic features 
And then what also this can do is it can help kids to understand the structure of providing a good definition because that helps kids to be more aware of what defining features of words are. It helps with word retrieval, all of those kinds of things. So a goal that I would write for that activity, the base goal that I start with is will define and describe words with, and usually I start with like three to four attributes. So that's your base goal behavior. Now, sometimes that might be specific enough. I usually encourage people to start general with just sometimes with the way that they actually write the goal, but but sometimes just with their thought process. You start there and you're like, okay, this is the this is the behavior that I'm working on that I want to see that I'm actually going to track. And then you can get more specific if you think that you need to based on you know, like, let's say you've been working on a more general goal with students and you realize you need to hone in on some specific behaviors, or maybe you start with the general goal with your with your thought process and you're kind of looking at the student's profile and you're thinking, okay, I need to make this a little bit more specific. So how that could look for that example I gave is, let's say that you're working on defining and describing words and what happens a lot is that students will not be able to say the defining feature of a word. So if you're defining a noun, then the defining feature is the category because we say, uh, you know, a dog is a kind of animal. It's not a complete definition if you can't name the category. And that's a really important part of word retrieval and storage and just being able to understand that. And so a lot of times people will find that they're working on defining and describing and, and kids can give a lot of features of words, but they're not saying a really specific definition. And so sometimes they might make that goal a little bit more specific and say, we'll define and describe words, including the category. And they might, you know, put in parentheses what specific attributes they want to see. And so they'll make the goal more specific that way. Or sometimes they'll realize they might need to write a goal for categories and then one for synonyms and antonyms and things like that. But things like categorization and synonyms and antonyms are all derived from that main goal. And to me, I think that that makes your therapy, when you think about goals that way, it helps you organize the different skills and how they fit together and how you work on them rather than just this massive list of discrete skills that have no rhyme or reason. It really just helps categorize things for the SLP. Um, and so that's how I look at it. Generally speaking, I usually encourage people to start with thinking about what the student is doing rather than what you are doing, because I've seen people write these really long goals that are, you know, a paragraph long and you're like, what is the goal? You know, you've listed <laughs> given verbal prompts and, you know, all these other prompts that they yeah. need. And then to me, I'm like, do you need to say that? I mean, maybe you do, but do you really need to say that you're going to prompt? Of course, you're going to do that. Of course, you're going to give scaffolding. That should be a given. Now, I know that other people think yeah. differently about that because they're worried that if they don't put it into the goal, people aren't going to do it. But to me, the goal, you, the starting point is always, what do I want the student to do? You might be able to make a case for the strategy for certain scenarios like the only the one area where I think it's OK to say the strategy that the student is using is if you're working on things like executive functioning. But with language, I usually focus on the the observable behavior that the student is doing, if that makes sense. No, that makes such sense. And I'm just thinking of laughing because I'm like, OK, guilty. I of the uh, not only has it been with the prompts, but I have even gone so far back in the day of min minimal prompts, um, uh, moderate prompts 
maximum prompts. And I'm like, what does that even mm-hmm. mean? <laughs> you know I mean? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. And sometimes, uh, you know, and I, I don't want to, you know, honestly, <laughs> and I know that that you have to be careful with how you say this, but if, if the student's getting what they need, I don't yeah, care that much yeah. what's on the piece of paper, but yes. I know we need to write the goals. They need yeah. to be clear. People need to, um, you know, be accountable. And if the student goes somewhere else, another therapist has to understand what it yes. means. So I'm not discounting them. And you know what, if somebody wrote a wordy goal and they're doing exactly what that student needs, I don't care, <laughs> but yeah. People ask me about it all the time. So, of course, I will share my recommendations. (laughs) Yeah, and you're exactly right. At the end of the day, if they're getting what they want. But you're right. If it could be more uh, clear cut and and more of just a really effective, effective, practical goal, then that makes more sense. And I love your um, thought process of of breaking it down almost like as, as categories. Is that first? Because you're right. If they don't know what category a car falls in versus a dog, you know, that's got to be your starting point. So I I love that. Now, one follow-up for that question for that is um, when you're working with that vocabulary, do do you get the vocabulary based on student interest, um, lists, you know, some of the incorporating some of the what should be kind of age appropriate or where do you get that vocabulary from? So that's a good question. I get that one a lot. There's not one right answer, but I can give a bunch of different ideas of where to go with that. Definitely student interest. Um, that could, if they're, now, now there's a caveat to that because we can't only just do yeah. what the student is interested <laughs> in. We obviously should keep that in mind, but sometimes kids don't know what they're interested in because they just haven't been exposed to things and they don't always know what they need to be working on. So we certainly want to take kids' interests into account. And if they're suggesting words that are totally appropriate, that's awesome. Um, I actually had an SLP who was one of the original members that went through my course who had a high school student who'd been in speech for years. And, you know, of course, they get kind of bored with it after that long. And she said that he started reading books on his own and he would pick words from the books and be like, can we study these in speech today? And she was like, sure, you know, awesome, because they were appropriate. So So that's definitely something that you can take into account is the student's interests and give students a chance to suggest words that that they want to pick. So I would that's definitely great. Um, Reading passages are always good. Uh, And and sometimes I will incorporate the actual reading passage into the session. But sometimes you can just look at a reading passage that is at the reading level where the student is, or I would actually encourage them to go higher because what you can do is pull the vocabulary from that reading passage and then use that to study those words because, you know, again, if they're not reading a lot, then they're not going to get that exposure to that vocabulary. But if you were to have this passage and just pull some vocabulary from it and do some other activity with it, they could get the exposure that way. So definitely... Um, reading passages and other curricular materials. So I would say things like, you know, usually the reading curriculums will have tier two vocabulary pulled out. That's a great place to start. You can look, you can sometimes ask the teachers if they have an extra textbook or teacher's manual laying around, or you can just ask them to stick the words in your mailbox as they do their units. Um, Or what you can do, which um, I actually 
was a special ed teacher that figured this one out, but I had a whole group of students who were failing math tests because they didn't understand the vocabulary in the questions. So things like measurement and um, estimate and just some of the math vocabulary that was coming up. And we realized that that's why that they were they were doing it. They knew their math facts. They just didn't understand the directions. So you can look at tests, you know, content areas, you know, math. You can look at reading and look at the words that are coming up in the instructions, not just the actual test vocabulary that they have to memorize. So those are some places that I would recommend going. And and I think with science and social studies vocabulary, I started to do that, but I got away from it because it, it's kind of hard to keep up yeah. with the unit. So I would be more apt to focus on the words that are going to come up again and again, more of those tier two words that are going to be relevant across more contexts rather than content specific social studies science type of things. The only thing that could be useful is that you could take a look at some of those words and those uh, those definitions and see if there's words that are coming up in the definitions of the words that you're like, oh, if they don't understand yeah. this one word, they're not going to understand anything in this whole unit. So I'm always going for utility and words that are going to make a bigger impact across the long run rather than something that's just going to benefit them for the test. Because you can certainly you know, work with a teacher, work with a parent volunteer or something like that to help them to work on those specific words. I don't think it's the best way to use your therapy time. Um, you know, again, there's always there's always unique scenarios where it's like, OK, we worked on this word that was for the science test or whatever, because the whole and I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, you know, the, the tiers of vocabulary framework where it's, you know, tier one is more conversational. Tier two are the mm -hmm. harder words that happen across contexts. And tier three is harder words that are more content specific to specific units. Um, it's a framework. There's not this rigid thing of like, what is a tier two and th versus tier three. So we always want to think about this as kind of a, what questions are you asking yourself to pick the words rather than being too rigid about what the words are? So there's, a, you know, a lot of those things. I know I gave a lot of options there. If people are feeling overwhelmed with that, I would just pick one or two places and start with yeah. that and just build over time. But I also tell people don't overthink it. Like just just pick away and do yeah. it. It's going to be like you're not going to hurt your students. You're going to help yeah. them. It's going to get better over time. <laughs> Give yourself some grace. Yeah, and that's great advice for any of us, no matter starting or how long you've been doing this, you know, 20 plus years. Um, but I do love the idea of even just like the tiers, you know, because you can't go wrong there as well, because that'll and then if you're using the framework that you put into place, it's like you're right. You can't go wrong. You're you're benefiting them regardless of what you do if you if you think about it in, in that way that you've outlined. And I know that I feel like you know, I could ask you a billion more questions, but I, I know that you have other things to do because you've obviously shown us you are a busy person. Um, but I really, I love what um, kind of some of the courses and, and services that you provide to speech pathologists. And I think as a community, we're always looking for, like I, I want to, I don't want to go sit through a, a webinar and not get anything that's actually useful. So, tell us mm -hmm. a little bit about you've spent. Again, you're an expert in this area. You've spent your whole career really fine tuning these a, a few key areas. 
what are some of the um, products or services that you offer and have available for SLPs in this area? So the main place that I usually would have people start, and I guess my, my signature program is called Language Therapy Advanced Foundations, and that's a program where I teach SLPs the framework that I was talking about today with the, the five components and all of the strategies that fit under them. And, you know, as people are signing up, I do offer some additional courses that they can kind of add on to dive into other areas. But that is the main starting point. If people are like, where do I start? I need a system. That's that's where I recommend that they go. So if people are interested, I have a couple different places I could send them. I do have a free webinar where I dive a little bit deeper into the research and the components of the framework that I talked about today, and I'd be happy to share a link yeah. to that. And then I also have a free guide that people can sign up for. And, and when they sign up for either of these things, they will be added to my mailing list. So they'll get, you know, they'll get emails from me about other things and other information if they want to learn more. But in the, the free guide, I dive into the element of syntax because this mm. is one of the one of the areas where I just I I didn't know how to work on it. I didn't realize how much it impacted comprehension. And when we're thinking about the whole developmental milestones, like what skills are age appropriate, learning about syntax can provide a lot of clarity there as far as how to support language growth and language processing. So I also have that guide that I can share the link to that people can sign up for. I love, I feel like SLPs are so generous. And so I, I love that you have the webinar that even just kind of breaks down because I think you're right. There's so much where if you really understood more of the research behind it, it helps you make better decisions. Um, and what about, so if you are, would you recommend this? I'm thinking if for any new grads coming out of school, this would be a great place to just even, you know, start from the beginning mm -hmm. with this understanding. Yeah. I mean, I honestly have, I have new grads that are like, I want to get started on the right foot, mm -hmm. but honestly, I've had people who, people who come in and they're like, I've been practicing for 20 years and I thought I would yeah. have figured this out by now. And I haven't. So <laughs> I have the range of people where I have people who've been in the field for a while and are still feeling like this is one area where they just haven't really, haven't really figured out a good system. And then I have the newer people who just want to get started on the right foot. Yeah, I would be in the latter category saying help. I've been doing this for so long and I'm like thinking, oh gosh, I'm all the th I need to go about apologize to people from years past. Um, and so you also, when you talk about the courses, do you, so you have the webinar um, and um, the guide, what other um, options do you have for SLPs who want to get involved? So in that webinar, for people who want to learn more, the webinar is free, but I do talk about the course at the end. Um, obviously, there's no obligation to sign up. If you just sign up for the webinar, you can just yeah. you know stay on my mailing list. But, but for people who want to learn more, they can sign up for the course. Um, I do have a couple of the... I have a product called the Word Study Toolkit. This is something that is included in the course, but some people, if they're kind of like... I'm not quite ready for the full course yet, and they want to get started and learn some of the some of the things that I teach. Uh, I, they can sign up for the Word Study Toolkit, and what that is is just a it's it's a, a PDF download with a whole bunch of different um, different probes so that it, to help work on morphology and orthography to build 
vocabulary and spelling. And there are some video tutorials that are included with it. So that's another place that people can go if they want to kind of dip their toes in and learn part of the framework of how to start studying words. And that can be something that is really powerful because I know that a lot of people, a lot of SLPs, we know that we need to work on phonological awareness, but then they have these kids who it's like, well, what about these longer words? And they're still, there's still something missing, even though I've been doing phonological awareness or they've been getting it in their curriculums from somebody else. Well, morphology is often that missing link. And so that's why that's part of the framework because it can be really powerful for supporting those literacy skills in a way that is in line with the SLP scope. So that's another option for people as well. Um, that is a paid product, but I'm, I'm happy to share the link to that. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking if you have, if you need to buy a gift for somebody graduating or even like you said, yeah. somebody who's been doing this for a while, it just seems like it'd be a great way to just refresh your like, oh, mm -hmm. good, I have a whole new way of, of, of doing this. And I think that sometimes helps to combat some of that. Oh, I've been going down this road and it's not really working. I don't feel effective, but oh, let's try something new and look at things from a different lens. Um, and we will put all of that information on how to, on your website, um, and just to at least so people can go and see what options are. And, um, and I just thank you so much, um, Karen, because I really... I thank you for committing yourself to this uh, this area because it really is so. I can't tell. I can't say it enough. If you're working with with students of any age, this is going to be a huge part of your job. And so, um, if mm -hmm. I could go back and and really have had this from the beginning, I know it would have changed so the way I did things and where it just felt like, okay, we just do this because this is what I think we do, but really not understanding <laughs> why yeah. I was doing what I was doing. And I, I really appreciate you, you sharing this, this knowledge and gift with all of us. It's, it's wonderful. Well, and I appreciate you having me on. Yes. Thank you so much. And we'll put all of the contact information in the show notes. Um, and please, you know, check it out and, um, you know, look at the webinar. And again, I think I'm thinking if anybody I know that's uh, graduating, this would be a really cool gift to just give them some knowledge from the beginning. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely what I wish I would have had. So that's what I hope that people would feel like when they sign up. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning into SLP Full Disclosure. For more information about this episode, check out the show notes on our website at medtravelers.com slash SLP full disclosure. And don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss a guest. Are you interested in becoming a travel SLP? Visit medtravelers.com to learn more and explore the exciting opportunities we offer at top level facilities across the country. Also, a special thanks to Jonathan Carey for producing this episode and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. And as always, this episode was powered by Med Travelers. See you next time.